0: room to sing and to pray and to receive a cross on our foreheads, a cross made of ashes. We did this to remember that we are mortal and that often we stray from God and that one day we're going to die. It's true, isn't it? Even though we live in a culture that encourages us never to think about that, we live in a death-denying culture that encourages us always to think about life but rarely to think about death. The truth is, at the end of this journey, each one of us will experience death in this life. And none of us knows how many days we have remaining in this life. Ash Wednesday. This is what we do every year on Ash Wednesday, the first day in the season of life. It seems to me that Ash Wednesday is completely countercultural, Right? I mean, just imagine the Hallmark card. On the front, a picture like this, and it says, Happy Ash Wednesday. <laughs> And then when you open it up it in, the, in the inside, it says, you're going to die. <laughs>
1: Can you imagine
0: that card? Of course not. Ash Wednesday is completely countercultural. And so is the season of Lent. A season set aside not for celebration and balloons and candy, although that is Valentine's Day, which also happens to be today, but not for celebration And not for cake, but a season set aside for quiet and stillness and self-reflection and introspection. Counter-cultural. The season of Lent invites us to confront some serious things. To look at ourselves honestly and intentionally. And to speak the truth about things that matter to speak the truth about things that matter, things of life and things of death. Our worship series during the season of Lent is inspired by this little Facebook meme that's been floating around. Maybe you've seen it. It isn't floating around about Jesus. It's one of these where you enter your own name and it comes up with some little scenario. Maybe some of you played this. Be like Jesus. Jesus is a good friend. Be like Jesus. And so over the next six weeks we're going to think deeply about what it means to live a Christ-like life. To model our lives after Jesus who practiced love and forgiveness and compassion. Who lived a life of prayer and justice and hope and joy. Richard Rohr says this, We worshipped Jesus instead of following him on the same path. We made Jesus into a mere religion instead of a journey toward union with God and everything else. This shift made us into a religion of belonging and believing instead of a religion of transformation. I think it's true. Richard Rohr is a great Catholic priest, Franciscan, I think. Uh, Contemplative, teacher, writer, prolific writer. And he teaches at a place called uh, the Center for Action and Contemplation, or maybe it's Contemplation and Action in New Mexico. It doesn't matter which, because this is the cycle of the Christian life. Contemplation, which is quiet and stillness and being re-centered in God, and then action. This is the... This is the, the, the Christian life, is the back and forth between prayer and action and prayer and action. If you lean too heavily to a life of prayer with no action, then our life doesn't have impact. And if it's all about action and we never recenter. then we're not truly living a Christ-centered life. This is, by the way, the rhythm of Jesus' life as well. Contemplation and action. So during the season, we're going to be thinking about what it means to live... A Christ-centered life focused on union with God and everything else, and transformation. So when Lent rolls around, what do you think about? When I say Lent, what comes to mind? Eating fish. Eating fish. Now, someone at 9 o'clock said that, too. How many of you grew up with the tradition of eating fish on Fridays? Is that a thing? I'm yes. Catholic. It's it's. So did you grow Catholic? Did you grow Catholic? No, but you did that. Okay. Yes, you did too. So this is a, a practice of our Catholic sisters and brothers, of course, and probably others as well, of giving up meat right on Fridays and eating fish. What else do you think about right when, when I say Lent? Fasting. Fasting. Yes. What else? Prayer. Prayer. Sacrifice. (laughs) The movie movie (laughs) Shuckle lot It's been a long time since I've seen that movie. I don't remember the connection. It's kind of the opposite of fasting. It's the opposite of fasting. (laughs) Others? Purple. Purple, the color of light. Does light make you feel all warm and fuzzy? It's not really a warm and fuzzy season, is it? Dark, darkness. But I want to encourage us to think about Lent not as a season of doom and gloom, but as a season of opportunity, a season in which we are invited to open our hearts that we might connect more deeply with the heart of God. Just as Advent is a season of preparation for Christmas, Lent too is a season of preparation for Holy Week in which we remember Jesus' final days and his journey to the cross, and of course on to our celebration of Easter, the resurrection. For the early church, Lent was about preparation for baptism. If you were uh, new to the path of discipleship, you would most likely be baptized on Easter, and so a season of intense spiritual preparation so that you would be prepared for baptism on Easter. Lent invites us to confront some serious things and to speak the truth about things that matter, things of life and things of death. Our friend uh, Steve Garnis Holmes, who's a pastor in Massachusetts and a poet and a songwriter, has this to say about Lent. He says, Lent is not a time of punishment or deprivation, but a time of deeper receiving. It's a time of mindfulness, a time of opening up more deeply, to God's grace-filled presence. What if you approach Lent in that way? Not doom and gloom, but a time of deeper receiving, a time of of opening up more deeply to God's grace-filled presence. So why 40? 40 days and 40 nights. Jesus spent 40 days in the desert or in the wilderness. In the Bible, 40 is a significant number, and it basically means a lot. So there were the 40 days and 40 nights on the ark during the flood. That was a lot of days, right? And then the 40 years in the wilderness where the Israelites wandered, which meant a lot of years that they wandered. It's a symbolic number that always means a lot. And so on the first Sunday in the season of Lent, typically we hear the story of Jesus 40 days in the wilderness. Now why did Jesus go into the wilderness? Anybody know? Why did he do that? Get away from the noise. To get away from the noise, right? <laughs> this is immediately following Jesus' baptism in the Jordan River. Now that's the story we read a few, a few weeks ago. Immediately after his baptism, he's probably still wet behind the ears. And he goes into the wilderness because the Spirit sends him there. Because there's something that Jesus needs to encounter that he can only encounter in the wilderness, and God knows it, and God sends him there as preparation for his public ministry. At this point, there's no disciples, there's no teaching, there's no healing. Jesus has not yet begun his public ministry, but he's about to. And so before he launches big... He experiences baptism, and then he spends 40 days in silent retreat to get away from the noise, to get away from everything, where he can confront the truth about himself and encounter God. So let's encounter that story. That's a story that we encounter in all three of the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, with varying details. So in this story, Jesus experiences three temptations, right? And each time, he meets the temptation by quoting scripture. So let's let's, uh, test your memory here. What's the first temptation that Jesus faces? Bread. Turn stone into bread. Now that would be a real temptation, right? Why? He's hungry. Because He's hungry. If if you are the Son of God, or some translations say, since you are the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. And Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy, part of the Torah, with which he was very familiar. And what does he say? Takes more than bread to live. Takes more than bread to live, or in some translations, one does not live by bread alone. Second... Temptation, this is the gospel according to Luke, and they're in a slightly different order in the different gospels. But in Luke, do you remember what the second uh, temptation was? Power. All this can be yours, Jesus, if the price is right. What's the price? Worship me. Worship, bow down and worship me. The temptation puts something else at the center, to worship something other than God. To get more. And part of that is to get more power. And Jesus again quotes scripture. Do you remember what he said? Worship the Lord to God. Eileen's paying attention. <laughs> you shall worship it. <laughs> God and only God. And worship God single heartedly. That's the translation that we saw in the screen. And then finally, the third temptation. Jump, Jump! Right? <laughs> takes him to the top of the temple and says, throw yourself down from here. This is a temptation to test God, right? And the devil says, you won't even step your toe, Jesus. God will send the angels and they'll rescue you. Do it! Do it! And Jesus says... Oh, and here's the interesting thing. The third time, the devil quotes scripture. The devil quotes scripture. And Jesus says... It is written, you shall not test the Lord your God. So since we're in this series, Be Like Jesus, I want us to think for a few minutes about how we might face these similar kinds of temptations in our own lives, okay? So, one of my favorite spiritual writers, now Allen, some of you have probably read some his books, he wrote about a million. Another Catholic priest, theologian, professor and great writer, offers an interesting kind of way to think about these three temptations, temptations that we all face in life. And here's how he thinks about the first temptation. It's the temptation to be relevant. The temptation to be relevant, to do something meaningful and important. Turn these stones to bread. And Henry Nowlin says... That in resisting this temptation, Jesus is rejecting a religious lie. And the lie is, I am what I do. I am what I do. Now, is this a lie that is alive in our culture today, 2,000 years later? I am what I do? Yes? How do you see this lie playing itself out in our our culture? (laughs) I am what I do. When you meet somebody new, you say, so what do you do? It's the first question, right? This is a question I really dread in many settings. (laughs) Because when someone says, what do you do? And you say you're a pastor, especially in New England, what happens? (laughs) Brick wall. It's across the country. Maybe it is across the country. (laughs) What do you do? I am what I do. Okay, where else do you see this playing out? Oh, when we say we're so busy. Yes. That kind of idolatry of busyness. Absolutely. Because the more I'm accomplishing, the more important and valuable I am. My value is measured in what I am able to accomplish, or what my title is, my profession, my role. Okay, this is a huge religious lie. And Jesus rejects this lie and claims the truth of God's grace, which reminds us we are more than the sum total of what we do. We are beloved children of God. Now, those are the words spoken at Jesus' baptism. Remember, this is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. And Jesus said, this has just happened. Jesus is remembering those words. And we, too, need to remember those words. We are more than what we do. That's a lie. We are beloved children of God. The temptation to be relevant. So Catherine is passing around a card for Don Wordalevich. I'm just going to take a little time out here. Some of you know that Don... Uh, had a torn or or detached retina? Both. (laughs) Okay. So Don had emergency surgery on Thursday and is most uncomfortable because he has to lay with his head to one side, sort of, right? And can't move it, and can't watch TV or read books or anything for a solid week. So we're praying for Don and for Sue. (laughs) And this card that Catherine is circulating is just to offer our our prayers and our love to God. So the temptation to be relevant. I am what I do. The second temptation, all this can be yours, is the temptation to be powerful. In rejecting this temptation, Jesus, this is Henry Nowen again, says no to another religious lie. I am what I have. All this can be yours, Jesus. All you have to do is bow down and worship me. Is this a lie that we still see in our culture today? I am what I have. Yeah, so where do we see this one playing itself out? Donald Trump. Donald Trump. I mean, there's the extreme, right? But even for those of us who aren't Donald Trump and who live lives that bear very little resemblance to his, how do we see this playing out? I have a portion. I have a portion. The other side of it, too, is that I'm I, more simply, I'm a Okay, so there's the other side of it. <laughs> yeah. I am what I don't have. Yeah. And, and each yeah. of those maybe lacks a certain kind of humility, right, when it becomes our, our bragging rights. That's a good point. Okay, other ideas? Where do we see this playing out? Commercials on TV. Yeah. I mean, what's, what's, I forget the statistic, but how many commercials the average child sees in the run of a week? It's hundreds. And it's not just television. It's everywhere. And it's not just kids. It's all of us. We are continually marketed to. And what's the message of every good marketing uh, scheme? Salvation. You need this. You cannot survive without this. You're not enough. You deserve it. Your life will not be complete unless you have this thing. And whether that's the car you drive or the house you live in or the clothes you wear or the electronic, you know, do you have the latest MacBook, iPhone, iPad, whatever it is, uh, Game system. Yes. I have a good figure. I have blonde hair. I'm okay. the physical part. So the physical part of it as well, and it can't even be I have this job or I have this family. It's I am what I have, and, and this is a lie. Blaming poor people for the. That too. They are what they don't have because they don't deserve it. They haven't worked hard for it, like yeah. I have. Absolutely. So it's and the blaming know. and the shaming. And we're not even citizen the consumers, right? Yeah. Yeah. So Jesus says no to the temptation to be powerful and no to the lie, I am what I have. A temptation that we face as well. And so the third temptation, Henry Nowen says, this is the uh, throw yourself down. He says this is the temptation to be spectacular. The temptation to be spectacular to do something so significant that you will just really impress other people and Henry allenen says in resisting this temptation Jesus is rejecting a third religious lie I am what people say about me is this a lie that we face today I am what people say about me and how do we see this one playing itself out Every day on social media. Now, that's a tricky one. Because it's also, I am what I say about myself. What I choose to say about myself on social media. And I am what people say about me on social media. So this gets back to this one, doesn't it? How many likes does that get? Right? My good friends will like the things that I post about myself. Yeah? Oh, I'm kind of make you abused you believe that that's not valid. there's the other side yeah. too if you're put down all the time and you, you internalize that that's the flip side of it I am what people say about me I'm all I am all those awful things that people say I am right so not measuring our worth on our belovedness as children of God but measuring our worth on what other people say about us if you receive four compliments, in a day and one criticism, what's the one you remember? <laughs> yeah, really. So this is all this this one is all great as long as people are saying great things about you and affirming you every minute. But when you start to receive criticism, if you really operate, if you live your life as if you are what other people say about you, then it all falls apart, doesn't it? Because we can't measure our self-worth on what others say. And it is human nature, you can receive a hundred compliments. But if you receive one criticism when you're lying awake at night, what are you replaying in your mind? Only the criticism. Only the criticism. Because we, we believe this lie that we are what other people say about us. Henry Nouwen says, Jesus resists the temptation to be spectacular and he rejects the religious lie that we are what other people say about us. The season of Lent invites us to confront some serious things, to look internally at ourselves, to do some self-reflection, to spend some time in introspection, and to open our hearts to the transformation that God wants to work in us, to speak the truth about things that matter, things about life and things about Lent can be for us what it was for Jesus, a time of spiritual preparation, a time for growing self-awareness, a time to intensify our trust in God. So on your seat today, you have a little handout that looks like this. I want to see if you can find that. It's purple, and it says, 40 ways to live simply for 40 days of Lent." Just take a minute, look that over, and see if there are any that grab your attention that you think you might like to try during this season of the Lent. Any on there that grab your attention? The giveaway box. The giveaway box. That's day one. Find a box and start going through your closet or your dresser and pull out some articles of clothing that you haven't worn in a year. I'm sure none of you have clothes in your closet that you haven't worn for a year, right? No, no, no. And what you'll see is, as you go through the list, uh, it will suggest other things that you might put in your giveaway box as well—household items, books, other things—and then give it away at the end. Okay? Others that catch your attention? Go through your inbox and right. Yeah. Anybody receive email that you probably don't need? Oh my gosh. Come and find the quiet center in the crowded email <laughs> life we lead. Find the room for fewer emails to enter. What else? Practice Sabbath. I think that's going to be the most difficult one. Yeah. <laughs> I want to know if Sarah's going to get a last year. That's right. That. On Monday. Practice Sabbath. One day in seven where you don't work. Now that talk about counter cultural. This is one of the Ten Commandments. It's right up there with not lying, stealing, committing adultery. Practicing Sabbath. And we are so bad at it. I am so bad at it. We are so bad at it in our culture. Somebody over here? Jonah. Jonah, did you have one that you liked from that list? Yes. Yeah. Which one? Practice Sabbath. Practice Sabbath, that one too? Take me a day off? Just tell your mom, home I can't. Seeds for the garden. Now talk about living in hope, right? <laughs> Buy some seeds and start planting out your garden. Lent is supposed to be leading us towards spring, for toward new life. So why living simply during the season of Lent? What does living simply have to do with it? Because we fill our lives with so much stuff and noise and activity that we crowd God out. And when we set some things aside, we can make room for God. I want to encourage you to spend some time on this list. You don't have to do all 40, but pick some that speak to you and try practicing them. So there are two prayer stations in the room today that we want to encourage you to check out before you go. The first one is over here. And this is a Lenten banner that we started on Ash Wednesday, but eventually will hang right here in the middle. And if you come over here, what you'll see is that there's an outline in the shape of a cross. And it invites you to think of some words that you would use to describe Jesus. Loving, forgiving, compassionate, describing words, adjectives. And to write some of them in the shape of the cross. In this series, we're striving to be like Jesus. So what are some of those things that we're striving to emulate about Jesus' life? So check that out before you go. And then over here on this wall um, are three questions that we invite you to consider and to post your answers on post-it notes. The first one says, what are you letting go of in the season of Lent in order to make space for God? Sometimes we need to let go of some things that stand between us and a deeper relationship with God. So what are you letting go of? (laughs) The second one asks, what new thing are you taking on in this season of Lent as a way of deepening your spiritual life? Sometimes it's about letting go, and sometimes it's about taking on some new practices. Maybe maybe it's something from this list or some other practice that you want to take on during this series. And then finally, during this season of Lent, in what ways are you striving to be more like Jesus? So that station will be here throughout the season of Lent and we just encourage you to keep adding post-it notes for the season see if we can fill up all three of those mirrors with our responses to those three questions. A few minutes ago I shared these words from Steve Garnas Holmes. Lent is not a time of punishment or deprivation, but a time of deeper receiving. It's a time of mindfulness, a time of opening up more the God's graceful presence. He goes on to say this, our fasting and prayer is not swallowing in guilt and severity, but letting go of all of God so that we may be richly, deeply, abundantly fed. It's a time of becoming a seed, still and waiting in the darkness, open to the miracle of resurrection yet to come. Lent is a time when we plant ourselves in the mystery of God and wait in simplicity and humility. We wait because it says right on the seed packet, germination time, 40 days. So my prayer during the season of Lent is that we might approach these 40 days as a season of germination, as if we are the seeds. That we might open ourselves to the new growth that God wants to work in us. That we'll use this time to speak the truth about things that matter. Things about life and things about death. That we'll become more like Jesus.